At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is not your ordinary deck of playing cards. These cards contain 52 unsolved cases, and with every hand that's played, the stakes are unusually high. They've been dealt to inmates across the nation, and investigators are hoping their tips will stack the odds in favor of the house. Now it's your turn. These victims have been dealt an unfair hand, and it's up to you to deal justice. Somebody, somewhere, has information that could be investigator's ace in the hole. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 7 of Dealing Justice. I'm Jennifer Dubasak. And I'm Lori Jennings. In this episode, we spotlight Part 1 of Jackson County, Florida. Jackson County is a small rural county in northwest Florida. It's the backdrop for three cold case playing cards in the Florida deck. There are five victims on the cards, but you are going to hear about two other people that fell victim to murder because of their connection to one small town sheriff. This twisted tale includes small town revenge, serial killers, and murder for hire. And of course, we would love to see the day where there are no faces to put on the cold case playing cards But until that day comes, we will continue telling these stories in pursuit of dealing justice. It's time for us to solve these cases one card at a time. Help us deal justice for Robert and Catherine McRae. This is Episode 7, Part 1 of the Jackson County Cases. We start with Robert and Catherine McRae, Ace of Spades, Florida Deck. This episode of Dealing Justice brings us to Jackson County, Florida, where a heaping pile of Southern harm came with a side of secrets and mystery. A small town sheriff with a big legacy tells us about the sadistic murders and mystery that plagued his tenure as sheriff and concluded in the most personal and unbelievable revenge murder case that landed on his own front doorstep. Now, Lori and I are based out of Orlando, Florida, and I am from Panama City, Florida. So Jackson County is extra special to me. I'm very familiar with that area. And so when we started researching these three cards out of Jackson County, we stumbled across a book called The High Sheriff. It is written by R.L. Dodson, and it's a biography on Sheriff John P. McDaniel, and it covers the time he served as sheriff of Jackson County. Now, Sheriff McDaniel is retired and has been for many, many years, but out of respect and it's common knowledge that everyone in the area still refers to him simply as Sheriff McDaniel. Now, the book covers details 
of the murders and victims on these cards and a whole ton of other stuff. And it is one of the most fascinating and tragic turn of events. So we were honored when Sheriff McDaniel agreed to speak with us in person. And of course, we loved getting to visit him in Jackson County to see the wild and beautiful places for ourselves. So we thank you for being here, and we hope that you'll find the story behind these three cards as intriguing as we did. And of course, we hope that something good is generated from these stories and somebody comes forward. So here we go. Welcome to Jackson County, Florida. So we're pulling into Jim's Buffet and Grill in Mariana, Florida. Careful, Daniel. Hi, how are you? Good. Jackson County, Florida is a vast area in Northwest Florida. It is just a hop, skip, and a jump from Alabama, which borders Jackson County to the Northwest. It is the only county in Florida to also share a border with Georgia. It sits one hour west of the state capital of Tallahassee and one hour north of the spring break capital of Panama City, Florida. It spans across many small towns and rural areas, 11 municipalities to be exact. They include Mariana, Greenwood, Sneeds, Alford, Cottondale, Grand Ridge, Graceville, Bascom, Malone, Campbellton, and Jacob City. Although Jackson County spans over 900 miles, the population still sits just under 50,000. It is small towns combined with a ton of wooded land, dirt roads, and backcountry highways. And if you love nature and history, this area is a shrine to the past and a breathtaking portrait of God's handiwork. There's the Mariana Caverns, which from my own personal experience, I can tell you is one of the most magnificent sights to see and experience when you're there in Mariana. And when you're done, you can head over to Blue Springs for a dip or to the Chipola River to go kayaking and take in the animal sightings. And if that's not your thing, you can take in the historic homes and have a picnic under the canopy trees. And if you need to pop into the quick stop for a cold drink, you can bet someone there will hold the door for you while they nod and welcome you to Jackson County. It is still small town America, but it was especially so when we take you back to the 80s, where our story begins. December 1980. Sheriff John McDaniel, a.k.a. Johnny Mac, has just been elected as sheriff of Jackson County. He was a local boy and known for his straight shooting, literally and figuratively. He always hit his target, and he always did exactly what he said he was going to do, whether people liked it or not. But most people loved him. My name is John P. McDaniel. I was born and raised here in Jackson County. This is home to me. It's where my heart is, my family is. As sheriff, your job is to be everything to everybody. And that's what I tried to do, be everything to everybody. Whatever you expected out of me, that's what I tried to do. And that's, that's what the job as sheriff is. Little did he know his time as sheriff would start with a personal tragedy. It was Sheriff McDaniel's first week in office, and a call came over his police radio about a homicide at a local convenience store. Johnny Mac may have been new to his position, but he certainly was no novice. So it was unsettling to him when the responding officers greeted him at his patrol car with worried expressions. As Sheriff McDaniel moved closer to the scene, they moved in to stop him, but not before he caught a glimpse of the victim's legs and feet lying on the ground in front of the convenience store door. 
The rest of the victim's body was obscured by a wall, but the sheriff didn't need to see anymore. He immediately recognized his father's shoes. In a shocking twist, after five years, it was discovered that the infamous serial killers, Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole, were responsible for the random attack on Sheriff McDaniel's father. Police said Toole has confessed to 35 to 50 other murders, some committed with another man, Henry Lee Lucas, now in prison in Texas. The two lovers were already on death row in Texas for a string of vicious murders that took place over a number of years and across 26 states. This was the start of Sheriff McDaniel's career, and in many ways, it was a foreshadowing of the strange and unbelievable events that were to come. Graceville, Florida is one of the only areas divided into two counties. Part of it is in Holmes County and the other sits in Jackson County. This town is classic Old Southern with one main road running through it. And both sides of the road are lined with American flags, historic homes and charming old buildings. Here's Jennifer Bernier. Jennifer is a longtime resident of Jackson County and grew up in Mariana, Florida. Being from that area is many, many small towns, and they're all right there close together. So she can give us a great description of that area and the events that happened since it was during the time that she grew up. And she's very familiar with that area and a wealth of information. My name's Jennifer Bernier. I live in Mariana, Florida. Um, I have lived in Jackson County most of my life. Graceville is like a little small town in northern Jackson County. It is very close to the Alabama state line. A lot of people during that time will travel from Alabama through Graceville to get to the beaches. And it was just a cute little town. They had like a soda fountain that still ran and, you know, little barbershop, just a really cute, quaint little panhandle town. And uh, it's a good place to raise a family, very small. They have the high school and the elementary are right next to each other. Um, So it's just got a really hometown feel to it. Jackson County in general has built a culture of don't bother me or mine and we will all get along. It's a mind your business kind of place. If you want to be social, great. If you want to pitch a tent and live off the land on your own property, of course, great. If you want to live in a trailer with five trucks on blocks and 10 dogs in the yard, great. And if you want to live in a grand mansion on a 12-acre estate behind a wrought iron fence surrounded by swaying canopy trees, a huge pond, and a manicured yard like Robert and Catherine McRae did, well, then great. The McRae Mansion still sits off the highway in Graceville, Florida, where Robert and Catherine built it all those years ago, and it is still impressive today. While we were in Graceville, Jen and I had to drive by and see the McRae Mansion for ourselves. So we're passing the, it says, Welcome to Graceville, Florida, where the living is easy. But right now, as we're driving on Highway 2, it's a very country road. According to the sheriff, it's going to be coming up. Here he said the gate. So yeah, there's like brick. Oh, that is a big house. That's huge. Gosh. Wow. And the big trees that line up the driveway. Most of us can recall that house from our childhood. 
you know, the house that everyone knew and everyone dreamed of living in one day. And it was usually subject to outrageous rumors and extravagant details about what was inside. The McRae Mansion was no different. Here's retired Sheriff John McDaniel. And just as you go inside a grocery store, you see it. It's overwhelming. What would you say, the movies that you see, like Bonanza and all that sort of stuff, those type houses. That were like big and grand. And yeah. is it still kind of one of those things that everybody knows as, as the McRae house? Is it, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it'll always be the McRae house. Mr. McRae, I think, and this is just, I think, built that for Mrs. McRae at what she wanted, she got. And that's the <laughs> truth. And you just hear rumors about how it was built. They said that there was some um, slate in the house that came from Italy. Uh, and, and I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, they said there was an elevator in the house, but there was not an elevator in the house. There's all kinds of things. There was a baby grand piano in this big great room. The McRae family made their money in the lumber business, which their family had been a part of since the early 1900s. Robert McRae also owned a sawmill in Bristol, Florida, and was former member of the board of directors of the Gulf Power Company. It's hard to believe that their home would become the backdrop for a horrific and senseless double murder, but that's exactly what happened. January 1989. 72-year-old Robert and 70-year-old Catherine McRae were staples in the Graceville community. They were church-going people that raised several children in the area and were well-known for their wealth. Sheriff McDaniel was now in his ninth year as sheriff, and he tells us about the kind of people they were. What were the McRae's known for? Wealth and goodness. He owned an awful lot of land, and you have to go back to the reason they owned so much land. Years ago, right after the Depression, his, Mr. McRae and his brothers were raised by their father, who owned a sawmill in Dothan, Alabama. And then they branched out here, always a fair man with whatever he did. Wonderful gentleman. They're just wonderful old people, and they had money and kept making money. But uh, good family. And they hired a lot of people. Those, the mill out there, they hired a lot of people. And I think, uh, this is memory, I think they paid every day. At the end of the, every day, you got your check when, when they were working. And they had a lot of employees, a big employer for our area. And they were the backbone for economics in Graceville. Saturday, January 28, 1989. We mentioned earlier that Jackson County borders Alabama. Dothan, Alabama is about 22 miles from Graceville and is considered the closest big town in the area. It's the place the locals went shopping and out to dinner when you wanted something different than your neighborhood restaurant. This is true for Robert and Catherine as well. They had met friends for dinner in Dothan and wanted to be home early since they had church the next morning. They said their goodbyes and headed back to Graceville. Nobody could have predicted that this sweet, generous, church-going couple would be murdered within hours. The McRae's arrive home around 9 p.m. They pulled into their long driveway that looped in a circle in front of the house, and Mr. McRae dropped Miss McRae off before he pulled their Cadillac into their three-car garage, which I'm guessing was their routine. The garage door was then closed. Sunday morning, January 29th. 
two young girls who were neighbors of the McCrae's walked up to the estate and noticed something unsettling on the ground by the house. According to reports, as the girls approached the home, they saw two ski masks, one blue and one brown. They also noticed jewelry on the porch. Instinctively, the girls knew something was very wrong. They fled the property and ran to a neighbor's house. The neighbor, Sonny Campbell, was a former Graceville High School football coach. He could tell from the girls' panicked expressions and hurried voices that something was amiss, and he immediately called police. Meanwhile, Sheriff McDaniel was enjoying the quiet morning, but as always, he had his police radio on in the background. A call came in that stopped Sheriff McDaniel in his tracks. I was at my home out on Meadowview, and I was doing some refinishing of some cabinets, and I was sanding some boards. I was on the back porch, and I had a little walkie-talkie about the size of this, and I set it out there with me, and I just keep up what was going on. And I heard the Graceville Police Department responding to a, a call that some little girl had gone and found Mr. and Mrs. McRae, and they thought they may have some death investigation going. My ears perked up. So they responded and came back on the radio and says, I got two fatalities. And I told him, I said, look, I'll come help you. Hold on to what you got. So I went and got my vehicle and left and went over. And when I got there, we very carefully entered who had to go in, who didn't go in, so we wouldn't contaminate the crime scene. When police arrived, they discovered the bodies of Robert and Catherine McRae in the kitchen. She had gone in and she had put her keys up on the counter and she had a little doggy bag. It was a piece of white meat of chicken or turkey, whatever it was. And it was laying on the counter. We surmised that they were in the kitchen. They heard a noise. Somebody maybe knocked on the door. Mrs. McRae would not open that door. Mr. McRae may have opened that door especially if it were a woman. Mr. McRae, I've got problems. Would you talk to me, please? He'd open the door. They were not just openly letting anybody come and go in their home. They were very protective of their, their home and their lives. So we feel that somebody got him outside through somebody needing help or something of that nature. She went to assist and they accosted both of them, brought them back into the house, and that's when they killed them in the kitchen. Their bodies were face down and roughly four feet apart from each other. Catherine had been thumb-cuffed with her hands behind her back. And if you're like me and wondering what the heck is a thumb-cuff, I will explain. Thumb-cuffs are like handcuffs, but they're smaller, allowing them to be carried in your pocket. They're a metal restraining device that locks the thumbs in close proximity to each other and prevents a person from using their hands and definitely prevents them from defending themselves. Police discovered both Catherine and Robert had each been shot once in the back of the head. There were signs of a struggle that looked as if it started on the patio. But who would want to hurt this sweet couple? Didn't have any idea why anybody will kill the Macrae family. Nobody could believe that the Macrae's were killed. There's no reason to kill the Macrae family. They were wonderful elderly people in our community. They were an outstanding couple that was so free with everybody to take and do things for people. Here's Jennifer again. You know, even when I was a little kid, whenever we would go to Graceville, um, 
we would see that house. And then all of a sudden, the people in that mansion were gone. And I just, it, like I said, it was just shocking for everyone that that, that that happened. I just, I remember feeling really bad for the family, even though I didn't know them, because they were grandparents and they were, you know, seniors. And I'm sure they couldn't put up a fight. And then I vaguely remember them saying that they took her life first in front of him. I do remember people saying that. I don't know whether that was true or not, but they made him watch. And then when, you know, nothing could ever be figured out about it, that made it even worse. The first motive police had to consider was, of course, burglary. The McCrays were known for their wealth, and Robert was rumored to keep large sums of cash on him. However, the only items that were noticeably missing was the cash from Robert's wallet and a custom white gold size five and a half ring from Catherine's hand. The home was full of expensive items, and those were the only items missing, so robbery was quickly ruled out as the primary motive. Graceville police officers guarded the mansion 24-7 to ensure the crime scene was protected. The FDLE crime scene technicians were sent in and spent the next 24 hours collecting evidence. What they found would send this investigation into a tailspin and would puzzle even the most experienced professional. There was a piece of ammunition that we found outside of the Macquarie house. It's called a blue-tip Israeli projectile. Israeli projectile? This seems more than odd to Jen and I, so we asked Sheriff McDaniel how common it is to find this type of evidence anywhere, let alone in Graceville, Florida. Well, it's very common, uncommon to find a blue-tip Israeli uh, projectile laying in a driveway. When you say projectile... It's just the bullet itself, oh. not the shell casing. So who uses that? Like, when you saw that, what was your... Well, uh, well, that gives you thoughts. Maybe a professional hit somebody with a weapon like that. We didn't even have AR-15s in the area at that time that much. While Graceville police officers, Sheriff McDaniel, and local law enforcement were pulling double duty and shaking every tree for evidence, the McRae family and the sweet small town of Graceville were saying goodbye to a beloved elderly couple and their small town innocence. The funeral for Robert and Catherine McRae was held on Tuesday at the First Baptist Church of Graceville. Sheriff McDaniel attended. Oh, my Lord. The McRae's are so, not only rich, but they're rich in friends and family. And they had done so much for everybody. Everybody in the world went to the McRae's funeral. It was, it was awesome. Despite the hard work and determination of law enforcement, the McRae case was at a standstill. It was then that law enforcement decided to join with Crime Stoppers in an attempt to bring new information to light, and it worked. This led to a tip coming from a man who said he saw a car leaving the McRae home late Saturday night. He said he was driving by the home and, like most people, looking over at the mansion as the home lights caught his eye. He said lights were on in the mansion, and he slowed down to admire the huge home. Somebody said that they saw a car with one headlight pull through the driveway about the time of the murders. We figured if they was in there and had done damage to the McRae's, and that car drove up and those lights shined in, out the door they'd go. Run for fear, for fear of being caught. 
Unfortunately, this information did not bring any new suspects forward. How could a prominent couple living off a main road in the most notable mansion in a small town get murdered and no one see anything? It went every direction you can imagine with the investigation. And as it got down and down and down and down, it began to get cold and time got away from us. Not got away from us, but we were running out of places to go and things to do, people to talk to. So it became a cold case. We may never know what happened in the McRae mansion in January of 1989. Police believe that Ms. McRae proceeded to the back door after Mr. McRae dropped her off at the end of the driveway after arriving home from dinner that night. She entered the kitchen where she put her to-go box of leftover food from the restaurant on the counter. The details from this point on are still up for debate, but one theory is that both Catherine and Robert were inside the house when someone knocked on the door, potentially asking for help or directions or saying their car broke down. But either way, they were hoping to appeal to their sympathy. Mr. McRae would have answered the door, and at some point while outside, Mr. McRae realized the person or persons at the door were there to do them harm. There was evidence of a struggle on the patio, where a chair was overturned. There is also evidence that Miss McRae feared a robbery and quickly tried to remove her rings and hide them. The intruders dropped one of the rings that were later found on the patio and took the other, possibly as proof of the murder or simply a souvenir. To date, the ring has never been found. Here's retired Sheriff John McDaniel. The ring, if you can find a copy of that photograph of that ring, That might help us because it's a very unique ring. And yet another theory is a murder for hire. Robert McRae was a former director of Gulf Power. He had been summoned to testify before a federal grand jury at the time of his death in connection with allegations the company had been involved in a multi-million dollar tax fraud scheme and making illegal political donations. And uh, there was a large investigation going on with the Gulf Power Corporation in Atlanta that had to do with the IRS and coal mining industries and all kind of people. A lot of people were involved. So with that being said, we, we branched out to whomever might could help us with it. And then Mr. McRae was scheduled to go on like Wednesday and testify in Atlanta uh, in reference to the investigation that they were doing on Gulf Power and all kinds of things, antennas start going everywhere, you know. That theory that the murder may be to silence him intensified after April 1989, three months after the McCrays were murdered when a plane containing two pilots and the director of Gulf Power's government affairs, Jacob F. Horton, caught fire and crashed after it took off from Pensacola en route to Southern Company's headquarters in Atlanta to discuss the grand jury investigation. Jake Horton's plane mysteriously crashed and burned. Him and two pilots died right there in Pensacola. Then we had a couple of auditors with the Gulf Power Corporation that died. And I don't have the files, so I couldn't tell you who they were or what they were on that. And finally, some believe there is a killer who is targeting older, wealthy couples as a thrill kill. On October 15, 1989, Nine months after the McCrays were murdered, another wealthy couple, A.C. Worthy, who was 67, and his wife, Carolyn, who was 54, 
were murdered in their home in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, about 200 miles north of Graceville. The two crimes are very similar. AC and Carolyn were ambushed in the driveway as the couple returned home from church that Sunday evening. The killers then dragged the couple into their home and set it on fire. Jewelry and cash were taken, but other valuables were left behind. Police have said there is evidence to believe the two crimes are related, but they have not released exactly what evidence that is. Both cases remain unsolved to this day. Although more than three decades have passed since the McCrays were brutally murdered, the Jackson County community wants to see justice served for this couple. Life was altered in many ways after their murder, as Jennifer explains. If you've lived in Jackson County all your life, you know that case. That McRae case, it, it just like, that was the case that kind of changed the community. Because that was the case, you know, we had had like crimes before, but that is the one that made everybody lock their doors. And I think that's, that's the one that kind of freaked my mom out. You know, somebody can just walk in and kill you, which I know she already knew that, but it just made her a little more aware of our surroundings. She would never let us go anywhere by ourselves. So it just changed everybody. You want that family to you want to look in that family's eye and say, these are the people that did it. Here's why we think they did it. And if, if you can't do that, you feel like you haven't done what you're supposed to do. And it's not, I don't feel guilty because I worked as hard as I could, as smart as I could with the help I had and what the benefits that I had, but it just didn't work out. Next time on Dealing Justice, we bring you part two of our Jackson County Southern Harm episode as Sheriff McDaniel takes us back to 1991 and tells us the story of the King of Diamonds, Teresa and Tiffany Hall. Just three years after the McRae's were murdered, a young mother and her five-year-old daughter are brutally murdered in their home in Jackson County. And finally, we're going to tell you about Gail Sands, the Four of Diamonds. She also lived in Jackson County, and her death was the catalyst for an unbelievable double homicide that made national news and still looms over Jackson County to this day. As we bring you these stories, we want to remind you if you or anyone you know has any information regarding the McRae murders or any that we're about to talk about in Jackson County, you can always call the Jackson County Sheriff's Office at 850 482 nine six two four okay guys thanks again for listening to this part one of jackson county again we are so excited to bring you part two and finish wrapping out about these cards i think when Lori and i found that they were three cards out of jackson county and the story behind them and again because it is an area so close to us and then we started really stepping into the research part of it. It's just the people involved in it, the book and um, Sheriff McDaniel and Jennifer. They're just, it's all fascinating and, and so interesting. And Lori, I have a couple of things I want to point out. Me too. I, no, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's true. Like that was the one thing, like when we drove by the house, I think both of you and I both said, there's only one way out of that driveway and you either go right or left on that highway and nobody saw anything. And again, in small towns, I, I 
but even in my neighborhood, and I'm not in a small town, it's Orlando, Florida, but even in my neighborhood, people will say, oh, did you have family over? I saw somebody's, you know, car parked in your car. Like, you just kind of start to know when you're open people and when you're part of the community, like the McRae's were. They were so much a part of the community that I would imagine that, especially given that it was a Saturday night, that it had to have happened later, that somebody would have driven by. Now, again, somebody did, and the guy came forward and said he saw somebody pulling out of the driveway. That, to me, and this is my personal opinion, that's why I don't believe it was a robbery. I think that given the fact that, you know, Jennifer had kind of talked about these small towns are the connection. This this road is kind of the connector between Alabama and Georgia, people use this to go to the beaches in Panama City. So that is why so many people travel along this road. And a lot of people say that's why there's often, you know, murders and serial killers and, and you know, the craziness behind why all of this stuff happens in one place. However, though, I still feel like somebody would have seen something and the only way that somebody would not have seen something is that the people that did this were really good at what they did because they did a lot. And that was my other question too is why restrain Mrs. McCray? She would I would think that Mr. McCray could defend more than her. So why would they restrain her and not him? I think that again, you know, Jennifer mentions that she remembered hearing that Mrs. McRae was killed in front of Mr. McRae, that they killed her first. I think that that is a really good point, though, that you say, because I, I didn't really think about that. But and it doesn't look like they were dragged anywhere. So it doesn't look like he was killed first. So maybe the fact that they restrained her was that they really wanted that Mr. McRae to have that fear and to basically torture him, which leads us to, I think that they ruled out robbery. Nobody thinks that robbery was a part of it. You know, crap happens sometimes with somebody walking by and decided to rob them. I find that hard to believe. I believe if it was somebody from there, somebody would have said something. I believe if it was drug related, if it was somebody that robbed them at the last minute, just kind of out of opportunity, it would have been a lot sloppier. But I do want to get into this. I think that when we talk about the murder for hire, I don't think people quite understand why that's relevant. And I think that it's easy to say, oh, okay, that's completely out of place. Um, But before we get into that, let's talk about the fact that, you know, some people thought this was a serial killer. Yeah, that's true. And especially with the Sheriff McDaniel, there's a lot of serial killer rumors on other murders, as we'll learn in part two. So, you know, that is true, but that just doesn't seem to add up to even with his own sheriff, his dad being killed by serial killers. That was crazy. Yeah, I'm not I'm not buying the serial killer aspect of it. However, though, so let's talk about the other couple and the reason why people thought that maybe it was either and it could not have necessarily been a serial killer but somebody that was targeting these older, wealthy people. So there was a couple out of um, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and that's not that far. Uh, What is it, 200 miles from where the McRae's were at? Yeah. And um, very shortly after that, the Carolyn and A.C. Worthy 
were found shot to death um, in their house. They were definitely a wealthy couple and very involved in their community. You would describe them almost the same way. Everybody says they went to church. They were part of the community. She was apparently extremely extravagant in the stuff that she wore and the jewelry and the coats and furs and things like that. So she definitely wore her wealth. Exactly. And this was like nine months later. Their murder was in October. So right after them. And the one difference is that they burnt their house to try and get rid of evidence, I guess. Or why else, you know, do you burn down a house after a crime? Right. But um, either way, that also that case is still unsolved today. So so, yeah, there's the connection there. But let's jump into the possibility. And a lot of people jumped on to the fact that was this possibly connected to the fact that Mr. McRae sat on the board of Gulf Power and that they were going through their legal issues there. So just to kind of set the stage, because when I first heard about this, and and you guys, this was national news. Um, Even the New York Times wrote an article on this. So, you know, there were people everywhere saying that this was definitely something interesting and that needed to be researched more. So Mr. McRae sat on the board of Gulf Power. So just so you guys know, Gulf Power, its parent company was Southern, the Southern company out of Atlanta. And also just to give you guys an idea of what kind of money we're talking about. So the Southern company is the parent company. The Gulf Power Company was the main source of power for that entire area. Gulf Power accounts for 7% of the Southern, its parent companies, 7.2 billion. And this is back in the 80s. Okay, 7.2 billion Uh, in their annual income. So Gulf Power, we're talking about a ton of money, right? So here's what happened. Southern was being investigated for possible tax fraud. So an employee came forward, an accountant came forward and basically said, I don't want to get in trouble, but uh, something shady is going on. So what they were doing was they were taking money and they were basically hiring subcontractors of people they knew or of politicians' families and funneling money through that. And so it this when this came forward, it started involving a lot of politicians that they were giving, you know, donating money to. So they started pulling the thread on this and then this comes to land on on Gulf Power's doorstep. So the employee starts saying, hey, if you think that's something, you should see, you know, what they're doing for the executives. So this employee starts talking about, no kidding, bags of money being brought to people and that the executives were getting extravagant things for their house, cars, all kinds of leisure activities that were, you know, um, inappropriately going through the company. So once they started pulling on that thread, this became huge. So it went to the grand jury. There was then a grand jury indictment. And so as always, everybody starts going, oh no. And so this included, I mean, we're talking about a lot of people. So to start with, you know, some of the deaths, just to give you guys an idea. So we talked about this, but Jacob Horton was the senior vice president of Gulf Power Company. 
he took off from Atlanta in a corporate jet of that April to go talk to officials about possible theft and payoffs and cover-ups. He essentially went out there and was like, look, I'm going to clear my name. Somehow, I feel like I'm going to become the scapegoat of something that I didn't do, but I want to clear my name. He had a written statement um, from Gulf Power of that April 10th that the company was recommending his dismissal for his possible um, circumvention of company policies and procedures. Basically a bunch of, uh, it sounds like to me, BS. So they were going to fire him. So then he gets on a plane and was like, oh no, like his friends and family say that he wanted to clear his name, that he was ready to tell anything and everything that, you know, because he wasn't the person that was responsible for this. So he and the pilot and co-pilot were in a small jet that upon takeoff, a fire broke out in the cabin of the nine-seat twin-engine Beechcraft, and they died. Then... Within hours, an anonymous caller calls one of the local sheriff's department and basically says, you can stop investigating Gulf Power now. So these things all started coming together. Um, And then given the fact that uh, also it it doesn't even stop there. Here's, Here's something crazy. There was also a third party involved who vanished in that December of that morning um, who was supposed to appear before the grand jury. Okay. So then it continues from there. And then one of the attorneys that was involved in this found canaries right on his front doorstep killed with a note that said, do not talk to the grand jury. And canaries are the bird like talk like canary. Like, isn't that jailbird talk to like? Yeah. I mean, look at you and your prison lingo because I didn't even think about that. But but yeah. Then, you know, uh, Mr. McRae was set to testify before the grand jury, like the following week. Yeah, he was supposed to testify that Wednesday and they were killed on that Saturday night. Yeah. So, again, not to I'm not even a conspiracy theorist, but I think that this is something definitely. And I think when to me, when you look at the money, I started looking into this and I thought, okay, well, you know, why would they kill Mr. McRae? Like, what's the big deal? And then you start looking into this and you're talking about a billion dollar company. You're talking about that they said it was involving over 30 local politicians. And by local, I mean, Southern politicians. So I don't mean local as in, you know, the county commissioner. I'm talking about big politicians that had received money from Gulf Power. Was there ever a grand jury investigation? Like, did they silence all the witnesses? I did look that up and I could not see where this went any further. I could not either. So that's where, and again, that's something that I want to investigate. But, you know, again, I, I try to stay focused and keep this on. Obviously, more than anything, we want something to come out of the McRae's murder, somebody to come forward. But I really think not enough went into this. I mean, we're talking about Mr. McRae was set to testify before the grand jury. He was one of four people that were supposed to testify that something happened to. And we're talking about billions of dollars in political careers that were on the line. And then all of a sudden, silence. So those are just our theories. We're throwing them out there. So whenever companies or people get involved in this, somebody knows something. People get older and they stop caring so much and they feel that weight. I think uh, it would be fantastic for somebody to come forward, even if it is 
that's a part of something much bigger than we ever thought to come forward and say what happened in to this to this sweet couple. And again, I want to point out Mr. McRae had zero connection to anything shady going on. He was just going to testify about some really according to everything we read. It was just um, factual information that they were going to have him back up. He was not in any way supposed to be a part of anything shady going on. He probably just had information he didn't even know he had and they knew that they had to silence him or silence him to give a message to other people that did know. You just never know. Well, I think too that according to other people, his family said he had nothing. He had no information. But I think he didn't know what he didn't know. He could have not even realized. And because, you know, again, when you're talking about politicians, it could have been an invoice that went through Gulf Power. It could have been something that he had no clue was a part of a much bigger piece of the puzzle that was going to bring a big corporation down. And I think more than that, I think it was going to involve some political careers, and that was the bigger concern. That's true. And like we've learned with other cases, it could just be something else totally that's not even on the radar. Either way, it's a tragic case, and if anyone has any information, we're hoping that they can come forward. And that's why we do these stories, and we look forward to bringing you part two of Jackson County and these other heartbreaking cards that we're going to talk about. There will be two more cards, and so there's three cards all together, and then one is kind of solved. They are both still open cases, so we'll say that. We'll tell you guys more about that, but we're going to cover... Teresa and Tiffany Hall. She was, Teresa was a young mother and Tiffany was her five-year-old daughter. And that was, again, um, where Jennifer was from, which is Mariana, Florida, and where it happened in Cyprus, which is a really small town right beside Mariana. And then we're going to tell you guys about Gal Sands. She is also on one of the cards and her card and her involvement in something that she had no idea and nothing to do with, but turned out to, again, lead to a crazy turn of events that made uh, national news and um, is still a story that blows my mind. I know our just mouths were just dropped to the floor when we were researching and just even talking with sheriff but just learning of all of that remember we were just like wow yeah it's it's super crazy but again um these are two more cases that you know hopefully we can find more information on and so we look forward to seeing you guys in two weeks on part two of jackson county and we want to thank liz morgan pr for being absolutely amazing and sponsoring us Liz Morgan PR is a boutique public relations firm specializing in media relations, event planning, and communication strategy. Founder, president, and friend, Liz Morgan is a creative, award-winning public relations professional with one goal in mind, getting her clients buzz. Like us on Facebook at Cold Case Playing Cards for all the latest information on this case and other cards we'll be featuring on future episodes. Feeling Justice is written, produced, and hosted by Jennifer Dubasak and myself, Lori Jennings. Our sound design is by John Schaub. Our executive consultant is the Cold Case Playing Cards creator, retired FDLE Special Agent Tommy Ray. If you want to help us spread the word about these victim stories, please subscribe and leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast app. And join us next time on Dealing Justice.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.